Hope everyone enjoyed last week's wild episode. We will be back in the studio next week for more of the banter and roasting that you know and love. But this week we are bringing you a fantastic guest uh, who's a best-selling author. He is an Army veteran, and we thoroughly hope that you'll take a lot away from this interview. I know I certainly did. And if you like it, make sure you share it with your friends and family. Visit our website, www.popsmokemedia.com, for more news and updates, cool stories and features. And send us your feedback and let us know what you think. Welcome to the Smoke Pit. Today we have a fantastic guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, how you doing, Dan? Uh, Kelly Krieger, retired Army guy, 24 years in, sometimes an author. I've written nine books, one that made the uh, bestseller list. And I'm running a company called Dash. It uh, stands for Disaster, Accident, Survival, and Havoc. It's a bug out bag company. Uh, I run here out of D.C. And uh, honored to be on your show today. Appreciate it. I, uh, I definitely appreciate it. That was a, a great synopsis. I, I feel like a lot of people don't um, don't usually do well when they're asked to, you know, compact uh, several decades worth of accomplishments into three or four sentences. So now that we know everything about you, bye. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, tell us a little bit more about um, what, what you did in the army. You said you're in for 24 years. Yeah, I started out as an infantryman and I went downhill from there. Um, I was enlisted infantry as a tow gunner in, in the late 80s in the Kansas Army National Guard. And believe it or not, the first vehicle I ever learned to shoot a tow missile off of was a Jeep, because that's how behind the times the Kansas Army National Guard was in 1987. Oh, wow. <laughs> like so, uh, World War II style Jeep? Or? Yeah, yeah, it was a straight up Willys with a, 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 a tow, um, tow missile pedestal on it. It was great. But, uh, I feel like that's going to be a collector's item now. You know, if you yeah, can actually right? find one of those uh, those iconic Jeeps with a tow mount on it, I feel like it would probably fetch a good price at auction. Yeah, you know what? Now that you mention it, I'd love to go look for one. <laughs> but uh, now I saw, you know, went to KU, went to the University of Kansas, graduated, became an officer. And at the time, the you know, active duty wasn't taking anybody into the combat arms. So they offered me ordnance or chem corps. Great choice, right? So I took chem corps, but uh, I got pretty lucky. I got to go to Ranger. I got to spend five years in special forces groups. Got to go to SEER school and become a jump master and do all the fun stuff that a lot of chemos don't get to do. So retired in 2011, living here in DC. And, you know, I don't know if I'm rambling too much here, but yeah, I, you know, I kind of went straight into DASH because of that background, uh, because, uh, you know, I've been through survival school and um, I always had a bug out bag by the door ready to go. And uh, especially we're living where I live in a big city, you got to be able to get out quickly. So a bunch of people started asking me to help them build bug out bags. The next thing I knew it was a business. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, so I guess we'll, we'll cover that first. Uh, you, um, you, you went through all this survival training and you use your expertise to kind of uh, help your buddies craft their, uh, their own bug out bags. And then, uh, what kind of made the decision for you that it's just like, hey, I might be able to do this um, at a at a commercial level and be able to, you know, offer these services uh, to you know people who are looking to, uh, you know, purchase uh, high quality equipment? Well, I mean, I've like I said, I've always had my own bug out bag by the door ready to go and I build it myself. And uh, as I as I the more I did it, the more I refined it, the more I made sure it was right for me. And then, then as I looked around at these bug out bags off the shelf, these survival kits that say 72 hour survival pack, 
was like, you know, these are all cookie cutter, one size fits all products and everybody's different. I mean, I live in DC, I got five kids. Uh, somebody in Miami who's a bachelor isn't going to have the same survival need as somebody in Salt Lake City, you know, or, <clears throat> or, you know, if you have a religious background, it doesn't let you eat pork. If you're Muslim and suddenly you open MRE and it's a pork patty, well, you know, there goes some of your rations for a day or two. So there has to be more thought put into it. I, I, I thought to myself, you know, you got to customize these bags to the individual. Like, you know, I sweat a lot. I'm a heavy sweater. So I'm going to need more, more towels, more socks, more, more shirts and skivvies in my bag and water because I, I was sweated out so much. And, you know, between me and my bug outside is plenty of water. But, you know, if you live in El Paso and you're going to try and get out into the desert, you don't have it. And why would you need a fishing kit in a situation like that, you know? So anyway, I just started uh, making custom bags. And then the other thing I was doing that I, I didn't see anybody else doing was low profile bag. Everybody's got this big black tactical or big yeah. camouflage bag that they put all their stuff in. Where I live, if you dismount your vehicle and you're in a crowd, you just made yourself a target, you know? Some big dude with a camouflage bag, everybody's going to be like, I'm following that guy. And when he's not looking, I'm going to take his stuff. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what kind of uh, goodies he has in his bag. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so I just started Dash to, you know, customize bags and make low profile kits that just blend into a crowd instead of making yourself a target. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, from uh, perusing your website, it looks like you, you offer uh, different packages too, kind of like a small, medium, large, and then uh, different customizable options. Uh, would, would you like to tell us a little bit about the thought process behind that? Yeah, and, uh, I know you and I are only audio right now, but I do have a video or a, a, a visual aid that helps to kind of explain how, um, you know, your bags go, you got small bags that are built for speed and, and not a whole lot of stuff in them. Then you got your big bags that are built for comfort, but no speed. Like you, you're never going to take a big orange bag and dismount, a big orange duffel bag full of stuff and dismount and take it with you. You know, you're going to leave it in your car. And that, that's exactly what that bag's designed to do, just stay in the car. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that chart kind of looked like a progression of my uh, my service. You know, when I first came in and I, you know, I had a, a buzz cut, <laughs> I was built for speed. But, you know, as I uh, got older and more broken from various deployments, I, uh, I definitely became more built for comfort right. rather yeah, than speed yeah. as, the, as the time goes on. And so if there's any uh, young hard charger, 18-year-olds listening right now, just take care of your joints. You know, when, when you're in your late thirties, your forties, your fifties, like you'll, you'll, you'll thank yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm at the, I used to age. I used to be faster. I used to be skinnier. I used to be smoother. I used to yeah. have more hair. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm definitely at the, I used to be age. <laughs> the, uh, oh. uh, the looking back at the, the accomplishments. Um, I feel like I'm at a decent spot where I, uh, I have a lot of the, uh, the older man strength. And so like, I, I can lift certain things heavier than I used to be able to. But I mean, man, I, I certainly was a lot quicker when I was younger. Right, right. My, uh, my run time has definitely plummeted. Uh, yeah, my daughter, like, asked me, my daughter asked me to throw a softball with her. I'm like, yeah, sure. A couple throws in. I'm like, oh, man, the elbow, the shoulder, everything's popping and hurting. <laughs> this sucks. Yeah, so I imagine just there's, there's just a quick release pouch that's just full of Motrin, right? Exactly, right? <laughs> All right, so um, and Metamucil. No, yeah, for sure. A little bit of preparation <laughs> H as well. Uh, so we have the the different level bags, and like you said, they 
you know, the, the bigger they are, the more they'll stand out. So the first one just looked like a very small satchel, um, mm-hmm. you know, some basic items. And then you kind of, you kind of move up from there. So that really just uh, depends on like the person and what their needs are and, and where they live then, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, where I am in DC, <clears throat> there's two main arteries out of DC, interstate 95 and 66. This is such a crowded area. If there was any kind of scare for any reason at all, and oh, by the way, it's the number one nuclear target in the world. If there was any kind of scare in D.C. and everybody tried to get out of town at the same time, 66 and 95 would become parking lots immediately. So you would have to dismount. You'd have to walk in a crowd to get away from the city. And so, I, you know, I take all kinds of bags like messenger bags, Jansport backpacks. I've even got a diaper bag. Believe it or not, uh, this is a diaper bag. And oh, wow. it's awesome. It has so many pockets in it and it's insulated. And it just blends in. I mean, who, how many people are going to look at you and go, hey, see that diaper bag? I bet it's full of survival gear. <laughs> you know, yeah, so that's the whole sure point. It's full of medicine and, and uh, rations. Exactly. So, you know, places like where I live in, you know, uh, high congested urban areas, you're going to have to blend into a crowd. I mean, if you already live in Montana and the mountains, you don't need to worry about somebody looking at you and saying, hey, I'm going to take your stuff because you got a big camel bag. You're already in the woods. But people in high density areas like New York, L.A., here, you got to just you can't draw attention to yourself, you know. Yeah, that's fair. And um, and so uh, where where can our listeners find your uh, your website and your social? Dashbugout.com. Uh, okay. it, it's Instagram, Facebook. I mean, just started a TikTok channel, even though. I know nothing about it. My daughters had to teach me how to use it, <laughs> but uh, I like doing these bug out tips. Like you know, uh, bug out tip: if you're going to put cans in your bug out bag, make sure you bring a can opener. Yeah, because that would suck if you get three or four days down the road and go, "Hey, look, I got a can of tuna fish in my bug out bag," and no opener. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Um, I remember the uh, um, I think it was the P38s, the, yep. the little can openers. Yep. that you could put on your keychain. Uh, so you know those put those in some bags too. Yep. Yeah. So might might come in handy. Uh, all right. So that's that's awesome then. And so you um you had an extensive military career. You got to to do a lot of the cool guy schools and you know see a lot of things and um, really hone your craft. And so is that kind of what inspired you to uh, to start writing? Or are your uh, are your literary works uh, completely out of that wheelhouse? Are they like, you know, sci-fi soap operas, or are they all kind of grounded in like military and you know, government operations? Actually, I got I got into writing through MMA in 2005. You know, when the Ultimate Fighter came out, and UFC suddenly got big. Yeah. I was like, man, I want to do more of this. So I, throughout 2007, I was on active duty, but I took leave a lot. I went and lived and trained as a fighter every chance I got. So I went to Team Quest in Portland. Uh, oh, I went wow. to um, Sityong Dong uh, Academy in Boston. I went to one of the Gracie schools in California. I just went all over the place, and I spent a lot of time with Greg Jackson in Albuquerque. And uh, I just wrote a book called Title Shot. It was just my experience of traveling through the world of MMA. And that just got me going. Then from there, Greg Jackson and I did two books together on his fighting style. Um, big instructional books, which I'll never do again because it was just so <laughs> tedious, such tedious work. Then uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel, Zach Bagans. 
But oh uh, yeah, uh, Samantha and I just went through Zach Bagan's uh, haunted museum in, oh, yeah. uh, in Las Vegas. Awesome. Well, he he actually reached out to me. I did an article on him for Fight Magazine, and we kind of got to we 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 hit it off. And he called me and said, "Hey, you know, I want to do a book. Would you help me do it?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, absolutely." So we did. We wrote a book called Dark World that came out in uh, I think 2011, and that made the New York Times bestseller list right away. Oh wow. Um, very first week. So we did a second book together. And then I did Fightnomics with Reed Kuhn. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the fight scientist, uh, Reed Kuhn. He, he, um, every fight puts uh, Betty nods up and he's very accurate about it. So, but Reed, Reed and I have published Fightnomics together. I think that was my, my fifth book, sixth book. Then, uh, then I just wrote a couple of novels that I'd always had on the shelf. I just, you know, did over time. One about the one called the comfort station, one called reverse polarity. Yeah. And right now working on my 10th book with Cowboy Cerrone. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's the, uh, Oh American yeah, for sure. And so out of all the, uh, the books that you've written, what would you say uh, you're the most uh, proud of? You know, what's weird, man, is, uh, I wrote a book called curmudgeonism. It's the art of being a curmudgeon. Uh, and it didn't sell a ton, but it was just such a fun book to write. Cause I just got the rant and throw my views out there. And I wrote this section called curmudgeon insults, which is only about four pages of how to insult somebody as a curmudgeon. So like some of like one of them is, uh, you know, uh, you're the centerpiece in a bouquet of assholes. Uh, just a whole bunch of insults, a whole bunch of slams from like the older get off my lawn kid kind of view. And that seems to be everybody's favorite part of it. But I, I don't know if I should say proud of that, but that was the funnest book to write for sure. Um, I guess Zach's book is what I'm most proud of is because it sold so well and still does. And I thought we asked a lot of pretty hard questions about the paranormal and how some of it you can actually explain, you know, like if, if you, uh, if you afford me a second, like think about this for a second, you hear people say all the time, Hey, I walked into a cave and I heard a voice. It must be a spirit coming, trying to get a, get a hold of me from the dead. No. Think about this for a second. What is the what are the, the main ingredients of a cassette tape? You remember those old cassette tapes? Silica and carbon, and they store information when they're exposed to an electromagnetic field in the form of music, right? And they yeah, release sure. that information when they are when they when the tape goes across the tape head, it's exposed to an electromagnetic field again, it releases that information in the form of music. That's the same thing that's happened in a lot of places like the Hoosac Tunnel in, in Massachusetts. The whole tunnel is made of carbon and silica and the electromagnetic uh, exposure is lightning or any kind of electricity, like when a train goes through the tunnel and there's kinetic energy. So basically the, the tunnel is a gigantic cassette tape. You know, 200 dudes, like some around there, died building this tunnel. And a lot of those emotions got trapped in the carbon and silica, the exact same way the cassette tape works. So those are some of the, the topics. Those are just some of the things we talked about in Dark World. It, just challenging these views, these paranormal views. People always go, I heard a voice. It's my grandfather trying to talk to me from the dead. No, it's not. It's a carbon and silica cassette tape of nature. <laughs> well, that's pretty wild. Um, so uh, do you think that um, in all the time that you spent working with Zach and uh, doing this research, do you think that uh, solidified your belief in the paranormal or do you think it dispelled it? 
I, I'll tell you what, man, the weirdest stuff happens around him. I mean, it's crazy. I, I was, I tried to, you know, approach it from a practical standpoint, but I don't know how many times I'll be around him and go, okay, I have no explanation for that. I don't know what that was. And you go, oh, you know, it's a spirit here, a spirit there. I'm like, oh my God, your life is crazy. Like, oh, my, my fiance is an empath and she says all the time, it's not places aren't haunted, people are. There are certain people that attract that activity. And Zach is definitely one of them. I can remember being in his house or being in a, on a you know, in an abandoned prison in the middle of the night. And the weirdest crap happens around him that I would have no explanation for at all. So I don't know. I didn't answer your question. I don't know if it, it solidifies my belief in the paranormal, but I definitely think that there's a lot of forces out there we just don't understand yet. Yeah, that's for sure. We um we did a uh, a collab with um outside of the grid square uh an article about paranormal activities in the military because you know a lot of people have their their experiences and their stories of um of uh you know hearing things and seeing things that you can't necessarily explain and uh yeah i i know that uh there are a lot of things out there that i can't explain and you know to be fair like i if i got sent back in time and you know the the people who who received me were like oh you know like ye old wise uh, time traveler, like bring us the wisdom of the future. I could, you know, probably tell them a few things, but you know, like I wouldn't be able to specifically tell them how a microwave works or, you know, how to create Wi-Fi. where right. I can kind of give them the idea of like, Hey, you know, like that would be super cool if there was something like this, or it was super cool when we had this, I don't know how to make it work. And so if the idea that some guy just standing next to a piece of equipment, uh, realized that the chocolate bar in his pocket melted, uh, and then figured out it was the met, uh, electromagnetic waves and created the microwave, you know, and I, I don't think that any one of us can reasonably say that we have a good grasp on everything. You know, right. there's waves of light you can't even see. So who's to say that there's other things you can't see that still exist and, you know, can still infect you for, you know, one way or another. So I think some of those questions need to be unanswered. Like if we knew what happened when you died, I, I would change everybody's, they would change how everybody lived. If they knew, oh, you know, you're just passing through, you know, a lot of people say it's just a transition from one world to the next. And a lot of people, you know, atheists will tell you, no, you just turn off. You're dead. You become warm food. If we all knew definitively what happens when you die, we would all live completely differently. We would all live completely with, with the knowledge of knowing that one or the other was going to happen. I think some things need to be a mystery. I mean, they, they just kind of need to be you know, unknown to us or some things we, we don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I kind of feel like maybe one of these days say like there is, you know, God forbid, uh, uh, an event that, you know, wipes us all out and we're all just kind of standing there and you know, in, in the transition phase to whatever comes next. And, you know, the, the, the guy that had the, um, the sign that says Jesus is watching was like, see, I told you. All <laughs> right. And, um, but yeah, so if uh, I, I guess that that kind of begs the question. So like if you knew, would you rather know the day that you were to pass away or would you rather know the mechanism of what was going to take you out? Neither. Uh, I wouldn't want to know either. I just I want to. If you had to pick, though. Oh, if you had to pick. Oh, man, I guess the day uh, if, if it was unavoidable, like no matter what you did on that day, you're gone. I think I'd probably just sit in my house waiting for the heart attack. You know, or waiting for a plane to land on my house or something like that. 
Yeah, either that or I'd, I'd go out and I'd do something that, like, I knew I wouldn't want to suffer the ramifications of. And I don't mean anything, like, nefarious. Like, I'd go tell uh, a politician off or something, you know. Uh, just, you know, something that I, I, I wouldn't want to be around for the ramifications. It'd be awkward if they're like, oh, sorry, we forgot to incorporate the leap year. <laughs> you know, you got another 365 <laughs> yeah. days. Oops. Um, but I think I would rather know the date than the mechanism because my luck, it would just be something like, like, it'd just be like geese. And like from the, for the rest of my life, I'd just be like, oh, I know one of you, one of you is going to take me out, but which one is it going to be? You know? Yeah. I guess I'd rather know the date. Cause if, if like, if somebody said to you, you will definitely die in a car crash. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to avoid cars as much as possible, but that means you hardly ever leave the house. Cause you got to have a car to go somewhere. Uh, I don't yeah. Know. Unless you just take like a train to move out to the, the the middle of the great plain you know and just get yourself a house in the mountain and then it would probably be something like you know some some uh billionaire who was having like his limited edition porsche you know or ferrari shipped from country to country and you know a private air freighter and it just mm -hmm. somehow flies out of the back and just, mm -hmm. just cheeses your house yep that happens too man when i was at fort bragg there was a guy sitting on his porch just sitting on his porch doing nothing and a plane crashed into his house and killed him. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, it's been a long day today. I think I'm going to sit on the back porch and have a beer. Yeah. And then a plane hits your house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's crazy. Well, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, God rest him. And, you know, I hope his family found closure. But, you know, I, I think that would kind of be one of those things where you're standing in line at the pearly gates and like, so what happened to you? Like, I'd rather much be like, oh, yeah, yeah a plane took me out than, you know, death by geese. Yeah. Or choked on a ham sandwich. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> that, you know, for for as great as Elvis's life was, you know, the the idea of going out on the uh, on the John is kind of oh right anticlimactic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you, you said you're working on a book with uh, with Cowboy Cerrone. Now he seems like he'd be pretty cool to uh, to work with. Yeah. So we went out to his ranch. My fiance Cecilia and I were both uh, we're working on it together. And uh, we went out to his ranch, which is freaking crazy in itself. He, 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 he leads a life that's really just a vacation. Like he says all the time, I'm going to have to work someday. So I'm going to enjoy everything I can now while I don't have to work. And he does. I mean, he wakes up every morning and does whatever the weather tells him to, whatever his gut tells him to. He's got a boat. He'll go to the lake. He's got quad runners. He'll go run around his own track on his own property. He's got Harleys, like 10 of them. He'll go ride with his friends. He'll go shooting. He'll go... <clears throat> you know, go check on his bees, his beehives, because he makes his own honey, you know, and he's got an actual working farm out there with livestock, too. So he's a super interesting guy or biking. You know, he does mountain biking in the mountains around Albuquerque. Um, he does snowmobiling when, when there's snow. The guy just lives an adventurous life. It's crazy. It's like the life everybody would want to live. And <clears throat> the reason was, he said, when I was young, I walked into uh, my dad's office and there was a big sign on the wall that said, live a life worth living work a job worth working. And he took that to heart and he, he always has. He's just, he lives every day. And he's, he's, a, he's just a really interesting, good dude. And so we started the book to kind of get that message across to the younger crowds, like the, the millennial crowd, because I don't know if you knew this, but right now, more people under the age of 25 live with their parents than at any time in history. There are more people living at home than ever before. And uh, yeah. So, this is also um, the unluckiest generation when it comes to uh, financial opportunity and um, economic opportunity, where uh, you look at how much it costs to get an education versus what those degrees were yield. 
you, know, you look at uh, the housing costs versus the, the minimum wage, you look at the cost of insurance uh, versus, you know, the, the cost of routine medical procedures. And so, um, yeah, this is, this is one of the most difficult times in, uh, in American history. Yeah. And Cowboy's message, you know, is pretty simple. You get out there and do something. It doesn't take a lot of you. You don't have to have a, a huge budget. You can go biking. You, I mean, you can take your, your bike through a park. You can walk your dog through a park. You go know, camping at a local park. Just get out there and do something. Um, and live a life worth living because you never know if you're not going to if you're going to be here tomorrow or not. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 52. I've had plenty of friends who just passed away in the middle of the night, same age, you know, um, just recently had a friend. He, he had a mole and went in and got a biopsy and where they did the biopsy got infected and he was dead two days later from septic shock. I mean, holy crap. I mean, that, you, you have no idea how much longer you're going to be here. Get out there and do something. There's a great, big, beautiful, vast world out there that you've seen exactly 0% of. <laughs> you know, get out there and do something. That's the big message of the book. And hopefully, if, if we do everything right, it's coming out next summer. Well, that's fantastic. You'll have to come back on the show to, uh, to promote it. Sure thing. Um, yeah, I've, I've been to about two dozen countries. And, you know, if you put that in perspective, that's only 10% of all the countries in the world. Yeah, right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, are there any parting thoughts that you'd like to, to leave our listeners with and where can we find you on social media? Uh, dash bug out Instagram, Facebook, uh, or dash survival. I think on, on Facebook just started ticky talking. I don't do the snappy chat thing yet. Um, you know, my, my kids are trying to show me how to do it and I just don't get it. But, uh, no, TikTok, <clears throat> I like that. It's like, you know, you know how TikTok goes. It's a, for the short attention span crowd. It's awesome. Um, Instagram dash bug out dash survival. And I, if there was a parting thing I would tell to anybody is just be prepared, you know, like so, so many people out there think, uh, you know, if there was some you know, natural disaster or something like that, and I had to get out of town, I, I, I'd, I'd go home and pack a bag and I'd go, you don't have the luxury of time. That's the one thing that separates you from everybody else is getting out first. Like where I live, if you're not the first one on the road, you're screwed. So just be prepared. Have a have some sort of go bag or some kind of pack ready to, to get there, you know, in your car so you can go. And, and, and I say keep in your car because you don't know if you're ever going to be able to get home to get a bigger bag. You might be stuck outside the city, you know, and you can't get home. So anyway, I guess that's kind of a long-winded way of saying be prepared, like the Boy Scouts say. <laughs> well, fair enough. Well, we, uh, we appreciate your time. Fair winds, following seeds. We'll see you next time here on the smoke. All right. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on.